Welcome to The Mountain Podcast. The Mountain Church is dedicated to helping people love Jesus and the people they encounter every day. Today, you will listen to our most recent Sunday sermon. So sit back, relax, and let Jesus speak to you wherever you may be. And now, this week's sermon. That was so fun. That's so cool. We're going to have a ministry fair coming up here soon uh, where if you want to get involved in the ministry, you can. Uh, and you just saw what youth ministry was all about, so that was really, really amazing. I came from youth ministry, uh, so I have a special affinity towards the chaos uh, and the energy and the life on it. So that's really amazing. Kirsten and Natalia and Braden and everybody's doing a great job. Annalisa and Frankie, you guys are amazing, amazing, amazing team. Uh, we're going to be continuing uh, to preach on uh, the teachings of Jesus, the way of Jesus. Uh, and we're going to be in Matthew 5 today. If you want to turn your Bibles there, you can. Uh, 521 is where we're going to be starting. Uh, we're going to reference 17 and right around there. But, uh, yeah, let's do this. And if it's your first time here, my name is Samuel. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here in the community, uh, and I am excited uh, to preach today. Uh, so if you turn your Bibles there, Matthew 521, uh, you can see uh, this premise of uh, this city on a hill, this, this culture of Jesus, this way of Jesus. Uh, it's not just a sentiment, right? There's a whole lifestyle attached to it. Uh, there's fruitfulness that comes from a relationship with Jesus. This is something I talk about a lot, right? To be in Jesus and him to be in you, uh, there's an actual behavior shift and change from whatever you were behaving in before Jesus uh, and in your own humanity to what you behave in in Jesus. And the character traits that we behave in are Jesus' character traits, and so this is a very clear shift. There's a delineation between our behaviors apart from God and our behaviors in God. And relationship with Jesus, true relationship with Jesus, will create behavior changes. Uh, and so we're going to talk about what uh, anger and how we deal with anger today. Because when Jesus talks about uh, living with him, and at the beginning of, verse, uh, of chapter 5 is a Beatitudes run, and blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. And you see all the things that are blessed. Uh, and then Jesus moves into speaking and communicating about those things which we need to handle well. So you'll see anger here. You'll see lust. You'll see oaths. You'll see him uh, handle the subject of retaliation. And the rest of the chapter here gets into things uh, to talk about that are a part of human life. Quick, quick raise of hands. Who's been angry maybe this week? Awesome. Great. Awesome. So that's pretty much unanimous, and if we went back two weeks, we'd probably get everyone covered. Three weeks for sure, we're in there 100%. Uh, but, uh, and, and so it, it's important that we talk about anger because it's a part of our human experience. It's a part of our emotion, and it's, it's something that Jesus uh, handles and deals with us on, and actually the Word in the Bible talks about anger quite a bit because anger can end up being incredibly destructive and damaging so we've got to understand how to handle this very real human emotion that we all experience together. Uh, because when God calls us to be city on a hill, uh, the salt of the earth, uh, he has to teach us on how to handle the things that would destroy our cities, that would destroy our families, that would destroy our churches. And uh, this is how it goes with Jesus. There's an actual way to walk with Jesus. There's an actual way to handle emotions that could be destructive. There's an actual way to handle interactions that could be painful and damaging. So Jesus is not just a sentiment or an, a, a, an emotion that we feel. 
uh, during worship, but it's, there's an actual lifestyle in Jesus that's really, really powerful. So today we're going to talk about anger. Is anybody really excited that I'm going to talk about anger today? Is anybody angry that I'm talking about anger today? Okay, cool. We're all on the same page. <laughs> uh, so in verse 21, we're going to read Jesus' words here. You have heard that it was said to those of old, uh, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Uh, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with, this, with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the, hell, uh, to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, uh, and there remember, um, so if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come offer your gifts. Okay, so I wanted to read it through before I went through any certain part here so we can kind of get the whole context of what's happening here while he's talking about anger. And what should be noted is right before this, Jesus talks about how he did not come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And that's in 17. Okay, so Jesus comes and he's talking about what it means to be blessed. He's talking about us as a city on a hill, as the salt of the earth. Uh, and then he goes, and by the way, that thing which you've known in Jewish religion and tradition, I'm actually not coming to abolish those commandments and principles, but I'm actually coming to fulfill them. And as he begins to speak to anger and to lust, you'll actually see that he advances the line from just outward expression and behavior to a heart-level expression. Uh, and we can see that this is actually not just a new covenant goal, but we actually see that this is something throughout the word that was a goal for us, uh, for people that were trying to be godly, right? Psalm 19.4 says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So heart-level uh, Christianity or heart-level following of God isn't necessarily new, but Jesus is correcting a misinterpretation that it's just about your actions. He's actually saying, no, 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 no. You have to interpret this correctly. It's not just about you not murdering someone. It's also about how you handle your anger in your heart. And there is a liability that comes to, so I host some cars on Turo. So whenever you have a claim because somebody got in an accident, liability is a big thing. Uh, Gibran runs an insurance agency. Liability is a big thing to consider and talk about. And, uh, and so liability, when it comes to our anger, is important to understand. There's a legal element here to understand, but there's also a responsibility to understand. So the first point about anger is it is actually your responsibility what you do in your anger. It is not somebody else's responsibility that if they made you angry or they did something that you then chose to be angry at, whatever you do in that anger is not their responsibility. If somebody upsets you and then you yell at the next person you see, that is your responsibility. You are liable for those actions. It's not the person who made you angry or did things that you chose to be angry about. They are not liable for those actions. You are. That's, that's a really important element about our anger is that we are responsible for the outcome of our anger. So we're going to look in the word here, and we're going to try and identify some things about what the Bible says about anger 
even more so than just this passage so we can understand very effectively what we do with this anger thing. So the first question to ask is, is anger evil or is it bad? Um, And so we're going to go ahead and read the scripture here that talks about um, this. uh, And it says in Ephesians 4, 25 through 27, it says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. So we're going to revisit the scripture at the end as well. But, but the first thing I wanted to really talk about here is where, where you come to a place of sin in anger is when you let anger have its full effect on your behavior. Because initially when you get angry, it's important that you understand how to address and be responsible for that anger and then to handle that anger and to process it well. And this scripture right here gives you actually a great clarity on the timing of it. Some of us sit on our anger for weeks and months on end without even seeking to do anything about it or handle it. But scripturally, there's a reason why it points to a promptness of how you handle your anger. Because if you don't actually handle your anger and you stay in it, it will begin to produce damaging behaviors. And we can see this in scripture. And we can see that uh, even in where it's saying, look, everyone who is angry, is angry with his brother will be liable. So there is this present tense to everyone who is angry. Not everyone who has been angry with their brother, but everyone who is angry. So this is actually speaking to a present tense place. So if I was to redo this thing to you guys, I'd go, hey, are any of you angry right now with one of your brothers and sisters in Christ? And I would actually check on the present tense of where you're at with it. And then we speak to those things and we handle it from a, where are you currently at with this? Because if you are actively angry with someone and you are not resolving it, you are not processing it, there's going to be a liability that will come to it. There will be a responsibility that you're going to have to take of the actions that come from your perpetuating anger. Because be, be, be reminded, it's not the fact that you got angry that was the sin, it's what you did in the anger that became the sin. So when we let anger persist is when sin patterns begin to be easier and easier options. Violence becomes a very normal expression when you are angry. Not when you were angry, when you are angry. So present anger has a really good effect on creating damaging behaviors. So we got to handle, we got to tackle, we got to be diligent about processing our anger expeditiously, quickly, having the wisdom to understand, go, oh, I'm super angry. Look at that. (gasps) Oh, wow. Okay, cool. So I'm really angry. And how many of you guys have had peaceable ideas when you're angry? Has anybody had loving, God-fearing ideas when you're angry? No, because anger gets you to a place where violence and damaging behaviors are actually very much a temptation. So it's not good to stay in anger Because those damaging options become really, really tasty. They become delightful. They become things that you start to store in your heart like, oh, yeah, I'll get that done. We'll do that. And you start to store these things in your heart. And what what comes of it? Violence, gossip, slander. Uh, And you see the three things that it says here in Matthew 5.22. It says, look, okay, so if you insult your brother, you will be liable. Okay, so when anger persists, insults 
become probably one of the first things flying out of your mouth, right? Uh, and it just becomes like, oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense to say. And have you ever been insulted through Scripture? Somebody's quoting Scripture to you? You never had that pleasure? It's really exciting when somebody gets angry at you and then they insult you through Scripture. And you're like, wow, I think I just got insulted. That's pretty exciting. And so it actually speaks, though, in the, in the works of this place. Look, if you stay in your anger, if you persist in this place, if you are in this place, you're going to be liable for the insults that come out of your mouth. You're going to be liable for them. And this is your responsibility. So when somebody does something really, really bad, you might say, well, all I did was insult them three times. Okay, so but you are responsible for those things. And just because your actions towards them were less than their actions towards you, you are still liable for your insults. You are still liable for the damage you are doing in your anger. So there's a liability on these insults, and when anger persists and it remains, insults and, and cutting words begin to become a really valid option in our emotions, and they fly out of our mouth. So be aware that anger has a tendency to produce insults that are meant to hurt or damage others in a way that you feel like you've been hurt or damaged. Be aware of the next line here, which is whoever insults his brother, and so and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. And so you fool is like next level on this thing, right? This is an assault on identity. This is not just an insult uh, about a person's behavior. This is an assault on identity. It is calling somebody a fool. It's not saying you're acting like a fool. It's calling someone a fool. So when you go from just insulting somebody to assaulting their identity from your place of anger, this is a next level anger expression and it produces identity and insecurity complexes in others because you're assaulting not just their behavior, insulting their behavior, but you are assaulting their identity. So if you find yourself insulting pretty consistently and maybe even consistently the same person or assaulting somebody's identity and saying things like you're a fool or other identity assaults, then be aware of how anger is producing these patterns in your life. This way says, be angry but do not sin and do not let the sun go down on your anger because when you do, the enemy has a chance to get a foothold and you begin to have foothold patterns of insult and assault, verbally or physically. So when we talk about strongholds, when we talk about bondage, sometimes we kind of mark it off to like a very like, whoa, that's a pretty like pro-level issue. You know what I mean? That's somebody who really is like a real sinner. They got strongholds and bondages in their life. But I would encourage you to actually be more open to consider that you have anger strongholds in your life. And more open to consider that you have anger bondage in your life. Uh, that if you've allowed the anger to go, the sun to go down on your anger once and even in perpetuity for things, then you're probably going to see fruit from those things of insults flying out of your mouth and assaults on people's identities flying out of your mouth. So what do you do about those things? How do you handle those things? How do you rectify those things? Because there is a considerable amount of damage that comes when anger has its full effect on your language and on your behavior. So let's look biblically at some of the patterns of damage that come uh, from anger. And anger produces things. So James 1, 19 through 20 says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, 
slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So we see James point to production, right? When you have a car factory, it produces cars. When you have an anger factory, it does not produce the righteousness of God. It produces strife. It produces damage. It produces disconnect and frayed relationships. So whatever damage happened in your relationship, anger will exacerbate that damage. Anger will increase the damage, and it will increase the damage. It's the gift that keeps on giving. It's the gift that keeps on giving. It produces more and more damage. And as long as you let anger remain, more damage will be produced. This is the effect of anger's production. It doesn't know how to produce peace. It doesn't know how to produce love. It doesn't know how to produce joy. Anger can't produce any of the fruits of the Spirit. Is that a cricket? You guys hear that? Cricket? (laughs) It's because I'm talking about anger. You got crickets going. (laughs) So anger does not produce righteousness. Anger does not produce joy. Anger can't produce the fruits of the Spirit. Uh, It does not produce these things, so we must be aware of what anger produces. Is that somebody's phone? Is there an actual cricket in here for real? Legitimately, there's a cricket in here? That's wild, man. Phil, why'd you bring a cricket in here, man? (laughs) That's awesome. I love that. So when you see this thing, (laughs) Proverbs 29, 22. (laughs) There's, yeah, this is testing my preaching focus for sure. This is awesome. Uh, I've only ever been distracted while preaching a couple of times. I can't tell you the times in youth that I was distracted because they're not very appropriate to say from the platform. It was not a cricket, I'll say that. Um, (laughs) We had couches in our youth room, which was great until it wasn't great. I won a couple of points. You know, people get comfy. They get cozy, and they start cuddling. You're like, bro, that's not cool, man. (laughs) Anyways, Proverbs 29.2, it speaks to a little bit more about what anger produces. A man of wrath stirs up strife. And one given to anger causes much transgression. Transgression being sin. So you see, again, that wrath and anger produces strife and sin. Reminder, anger itself, not a sin. But anger is very skilled at producing sin. This is why the Bible speaks to timelines on handling it. It speaks to those places because when you're angry, which is a human guarantee, you will be better at producing sin than when you're not angry. So understanding the effect of what anger will produce in you will help you go, I need to handle this anger. I need to have skills on how to handle this anger. And so some of you may have learned that you have a short fuse or you're quick or prone to anger and things like that. And you started to try and create some kind of count to ten thing, say a Hail Mary, or maybe say a prayer, turn on a worship song. You've kind of given yourself some kind of like skill exercise. And I'll say this, like, okay, great. If some of them work for you for a time, that's great. But I found at some point when I had real problems with anger, counting to ten made me more angry. You know what I mean? Saying some kind of thing, doing some kind of thing that worked at some point, punching pillows things like that, all of a sudden I just got more angry, that the more I punched the pillow, it was still there, you know, and it never got defeated. 
it was this insurmountable object that it didn't matter, you know. And I found that no matter what kind of little tricks I tried to use to resolve my anger, none of them would work the same as actually addressing them on a heart level. So when it comes to the anger that we hold in our heart for somebody, there are no techniques that solve the problem on a heart level. This is actually something that you've got to work with the Lord on and say, hey, pull these roots of bitterness out of me, God. Pull these things out of me and, and make my heart clean and pure uh, so that when you look at my heart, it's clean and pure. That's my goal, God. So let's deal with this anger on a heart level. Why am I so angry? And if you're so angry all the time, you've got to ask yourself, why am I so angry all the time? And seek it out. James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Great, ask it. God, I need the wisdom on why I am constantly angry. God, I need the wisdom on why I just burst out in rage at that very small thing. Take a closer look at the root causes of your anger. You'll find roots of bitterness, and you're going to have to deal with them. You're going to have to address them. You're going to have to respond to them, and God will help you do this. He is a faithful God. Holy Spirit is a faithful author of a clean heart, clean hands, and a pure heart. This is the Holy Spirit's, this is the Holy Spirit's role in our life is he actually comes into our life. You invite God into your life, and he actually does a heart-level work in your life. He is the author and the perfect of your faith. This is the work of God. And this is something that we've got to ask and communicate with God about is make my heart clean, Lord. Pull up any of these things. And so when somebody tries to talk to you about something that's a sensitive subject, and then you decline that sensitive subject, and you go around that sensitive subject, you may want to consider a way to actually address that sensitive subject. And it may not be that person. That's fine. But find someone who can help you get healed on that topic. Topic avoidance, subject avoidance, uh, individual avoidance, none of these things truly help you with your heart level healing and purity and those things will absolutely affect the anger in your life okay so wrath produces strife and anger causes much transgression so you get angry that's normal it's what you do with it that matters and it's how, how long you allow yourself to stay in that anger. 2 Corinthians 12.20, in case you didn't have enough evidence, we're going to keep going at it. For I fear that perhaps when I come, I may find you not as I wish, and that you may find me not as you wish, that perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. These are not the markers of a healthy community. These are not things we wish for. But nonetheless, they are things a part of our human experience that we have to find wisdom and spiritual discipline on how to handle them well. Viable options, healthy options to our anger are not running from them or fighting. See, when anger leads you to run or to fight, neither one of these things are the actual process of forgiveness and healing that the Lord lays out for us in our, hang, in our anger. What are the prescriptions that God gives us in our anger? It's forgiveness. It's remembering that God forgave us, thus we need to forgive others. 
Do not let the sun go down in your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. These are the ways that God communicates with us. In, in fact, when you look at this second part of this thing, 23, it says, so if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gifts. How exciting is that? This is literally Jesus saying, hey, worship, the worship, the, the worship of your gifts is great. It's great. It really is great. But listen, what's more important is that you choose to be reconciled to your brother before you actually engage in that act of worship. So the value of reconciling to a brother gets put ahead of the value of you being, bringing your gift at the altar. That's pretty profound because the value of you bringing your gift to the altar is very, very high. But the value of you re being reconciled to your brother is higher. So i got to be honest, this is a challenging scripture for me. I even thought about skipping it. Not all of you guys have had that kind of temptation to skip a, an entire paragraph or two in the Bible when you're preaching on a chapter. Maybe it's unique to pastors or teachers or preachers. But I really thought about skipping it, you know. I thought about skipping it, and sometimes I think about skipping scriptures that I'm not perfectly expressing, right? But the challenge is, is that I just don't perfectly express the Bible all the time. And maybe a lot of times. And I'll tell you what, it's really weird to be a pastor and to sin. It's really strange. Because you got this kind of like uh, expectation. And I know that, you know, when we say it out loud, no one expects me to be perfect. But when I sin, it does feel like it hits a little bit differently. And so it's an odd thing to carry this responsibility. It's an odd thing to be a pastor, to be quite frank. Uh, I love Jesus and I love people, but I, I'm actually really not quite so sure I like the responsibility of being a pastor sometimes. And I imagine this is the case for any job, any leadership position. You like the work you do, but you're not so sure about the responsibility of it. You're like, I just wish people wouldn't look at me like that. You know what I mean? I'm just one of you guys, you know. Let's just all have fun and celebrate, worship God together. He's great. I'm not. Uh, and that is very true. But the reality of the situation is, is that, look, there is, a, there is a mandate on our lives that I'm responsible to preach and teach about that sometimes I'm in process in it as well. And I want to be honest about those times. This is a challenge. Sometimes I'm like, no, I don't want to. Have any of you known somebody in your life that you need to reconcile with and you just said no? Anybody currently in your life that you can think of that you're like, no. No. <laughs> you know when you shake your head before you even say no? No. <laughs> like five shakes, one no. And the more head shakes you got, the more intense it is for you. <laughs> Full of Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> So, so I say this out loud. I say this out loud because I know that it's probably a wall I'm going to hit with you as well as I'm preaching and teaching about it, which is you might not do it in front of me, but in your heart you're like, nope, not for me. Maybe someone else, but not for me. Uh, and so this is not me leveraging my model in your life. This is not me saying do as I do. This is me saying, do as Jesus has communicated for us to do. <laughs> I like that one. 
That, that scared me. <laughs> hey, uh, it is important that we feel the standard of Jesus, especially when it's inconvenient to our emotions. So we feel Jesus' message. It rests on us. His teaching rests on us. And when it is in disagreement with our life, do not dismiss it. But let it rest on you. Let it press on you. Let it push on your heart. Let it poke at you. Let it provoke you to good works. The message of Jesus is at times supposed to be a refining message to you. So when you or I seek out Scripture that is simply um, simply petting our back and confirming our current behavior as good, which that will happen. Sometimes you'll read a Scripture and you'll be like, dude, I'm so good at that. I do that so well, just like the Bible said, thank you, God, you've created in that in me. And sometimes you'll find things in the Scripture, you're like, dude, I'm totally a truth teller. That's so good. Uh, and you'll find things like that, and that's awesome. But other times you'll find things that are not affirming, but they're convicting. So carry your conviction, not through the vehicle of condemnation and shame. So this is where it gets really key, right? Because you might experience some of these Jesus teachings in anger and in reconciliation, and you might find them really convicting, but I want to encourage you to allow that message of Jesus to be carried with you, understanding that while he is convicting you and refining you, he still deeply loves you. And this dynamic is odd for us because many times we've experienced refining in a way that is rejection-based. So oftentimes we receive refining in a way that there's displeasure from the person giving it to us. Like they obviously don't love us, and they're doing this because we messed something up that they didn't want us to mess up. They feel embarrassed, so they're yelling at us. So many times we've experienced refining and a, a conviction over what we've done wrong from an author who does not have pure intentions. And sometimes this can categorize all refining and all conviction in this category of shame and condemnation. But I want to encourage you to take conviction and refining away from those who have hurt you and give it to God. And say, God, how do you convict? No, seriously, ask him. How do you convict? How do you feel about me when you convict me of my sins? Do you reject me and keep me at a distance until I fix them? Imagining, seeing how, what is your vision of God while he's convicting you of your sins? Is it that he's distant until you fix it? Is it that he's up high waiting for you to get up there? See, what is your vision of Jesus or is it that he's close? Is it that he's getting closer as you have more sin and you're more broken? Like what is the vision you have of Jesus while you're in this place of anger and causing damage? of unforgiveness and not being willing to reconcile or attempt to reconcile. See, my goal here is not for me to carry some kind of general judgment of where you're at in relationships, right? But it's, it's for this purpose. This is what I'm doing, and this is what I'm doing in my own life too, is I am carrying and meditating on this message of Jesus about anger and reconciliation, and I am allowing God to probe my heart, 
to poke at it, to look at it, to have access to all the spaces and go, God, if I have roots that are prohibiting this, uh, roots of bitterness, if I have unforgiveness, if I have an unwillingness, if I have hatred, what do I have in my heart? Is it there? Is it not there? Am I in denial about it? Let's do it, God. Let's go in into this inventory space of our heart and let's truly weigh this message out. Let's not gloss over it like a donut, but let's actually get into it. I have another recommendation on this. Don't move on from that passage until you got it done. There's a couple, there's a bunch of different ways I've heard people read the Bible. Some people do reading plans. I have never once successfully completed a reading plan. Did you know that? I love the Bible. I read it quite a bit. I've never gone in order of what they were telling me to do. Maybe it's my personality, and I don't like being told what to do, even if it's just a program on the Bible app. You can't tell me what to do. I'm going to read Samuel today, not Kings. Maybe it's that. Maybe it's something else. But I've seen a lot of people read Bible plans. That's amazing. That's great. I've seen a lot of people do a lot of different ways of reading the Bible. But here's one thing I want to recommend to you. Read it to become it. Read it to become it. Checking off the boxes on the reading plan is not God's design for you in reading the Bible. This is an information download and grab. It's not bad, but in God's design, transformation is inherently supposed to be a part of his words being adopted into your life. So take his words in a way of the transformation initiative and go, wow, I got some work to do on that. So if you read this passage like I do, take some time. Take some time to just think about it and go, do not insult. You're liable for your insults. You're liable for calling someone a fool or assaulting their identity. I've done that a few times. I've let have I let anger stay in my heart? Am I do I have a willingness to to behave inconveniently in my life to go and reconcile, to spend that time? For some of us we say things like I don't have time for that. Well, here it's looking like if you have time to come to church, you have time to reconcile with your brother. And as a pastor, that may not be the right thing to say, right? We want to increase church attendance. Because <laughs> if all of you are here next week, I know where you're at. You know what I mean? Could you imagine in worship, everyone's just like, yep, got to go. <laughs> all together now, we just leave and go reconcile. So there is this real call in our lives. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Ephesians 4, 30 through 32 says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So there's this outline, right? And so much of that is just like, wow, that's really powerful. But look at how relational it is. It says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. It's to make sad. So 
anger is not a sin. Remaining in anger will produce unrighteousness. We can see that. Can't produce righteousness. But recognize what these patterns do to God. They make him sad. So when I hold anger in my heart for someone else, this is a grieving that it does for the Holy Spirit. It's sad. It makes the Holy Spirit sad. And that's a powerful recognition that my behavior towards someone else doesn't only affect me, it doesn't only affect them, but it also affects God. We're caught up in this inescapable connection, not just with people, but also with God. And our behavior is not just affecting us or others, it's also affecting God. When we bless God with our worship, that affects God. When we bless him, it affects him. When we curse him, it affects him. When we curse others, it affects him. This is something we have to understand about about God is that he's not an indifferent character in our life, but he actually cares. He cares about the outcome of our life. He cares about the choices we choose. He never loses love because God is love. This is quintessential to his character. But but it's important to understand that he, he could be made sad by our behavior choices. I don't want to make God sad. I know that for sure. And I know that the people that I hold anger in my heart for at different times or maybe still right now, still checking, I know that perhaps, just perhaps, I can't see them the way God sees them. My anger's disallowed it. My pain has disallowed it. So I'm going to exercise forgiveness. I'm going to exercise forgiveness. I'm going to choose it. And not just in some short phrase, like, I forgive you. But I'm going to allow God to do it on a heart level. For my heart truly forgives fully. And I know the difference in my own personal experiences in life to saying, to doing the act of forgiveness versus getting to the state of forgiveness. There's a distinct difference in this approach. And I would encourage everybody here not just to do the act of saying, I forgive you, but also to do it to the point of reaching the state of complete forgiveness in your heart. No more residue of bitterness, no more residue of hate, no more residue of anger, no more residue of wrath, slander, or anything that comes from those places of anger. Recognize what anger has produced in your life. Repent of the anger with God and do a deep heart-level forgiveness work in your life towards others. You guys good for that journey? Come on, let's stand together and let's finish our time together. This is the day a cricket showed up to my sermon. That was fun. So somebody got it, huh? I need proof, man. I still think that was someone's phone, you know. All right, let's pray together as we finish this time. Jesus, I thank you for this community. I pray you bless them. And God, I pray that you would help us. This is a really difficult, difficult thing for me, God. And for some of this community, I think probably for all of humanity, this is a challenge. Different topics are probably more challenging. Different behaviors are more challenging from people. But God, I pray that you would help each one of us in this journey and in this path. Give us the power, God, to to walk out forgiveness. Give us the power to let go of anger. And God, he said in the Bible, blessed are the peacemakers for they are sons of God. So today we choose peace and we let go of our anger. And if that's you today, I just want you to lay your hand on your heart and say, God, I let go of my anger. God, I let go of my anger.
Yeah, God, I let go of my anger. Create in me a clean heart. Create in me a clean heart. This is where scripture becomes illiterate for us. It becomes literation for us. It becomes communication. God, create in me a clean heart. Create in me a clean heart, God. You create it because I've tried and I can't. So I pray, God, that you would create in me a clean heart. Thank you for listening to The Mountain Podcast. The Mountain Church is located in Las Vegas, Nevada, with services happening every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. If you'd like to know more about The Mountain Church, please visit us at themtnchurch.com or watch one of our services on YouTube. Again, thank you for tuning in.